Welcome to the Who I Became podcast. Stephen Williford, an absolute privilege and an honor to be joined by you today. Um, I can tell you that when we spoke and did our research for this conversation, that I was getting um, goosebumps hearing your story. Well, thank you for having me here today. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I appreciate right. the opportunity. Well, you know, and I, I was telling my wife last night, we're just going through some of my conversation notes and you know she had a tear in her eye um and i was struggling not to get emotional because when you when you hear about your story i mean there is just it's just it's a tragic event and i guess i'll start off by saying Stephen, you know some people don't know i want to read from a card to make sure i've got some of these statistics and numbers right you know but sadly on Sunday, the 5th of November 2017, we know at the First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, uh, an armed assailant uh, went in there and killed. Um, 26 people sadly lost their lives that day. Uh, 20 were wounded. You know, it's still known as being Texas's most mass deadly shooting. Uh, it's the most um, deadly church shooting in US history. Uh, and quite um, Prevalent in today's world when we're seeing these mass shootings is the offender was wearing tactical gear and also had like a, an assault rifle uh, with him. But you were that person, Stephen. It had to stand your ground uh, against this um, person where you gave chase. You were you're able to um, you know, take some shots and um, fight back against the assailant. But, but sadly, those 26 people did die. And you know, 10 of those were women, seven men, seven girls, one boy an unborn child, you know, one victim, age 14, sadly, was the, the pastor's daughter. So when you hear that back, Stephen, you know, even a couple of years later, what emotions does that stir in you? Uh, great sadness. Uh, our community will never be the same. We're different. Uh, and, and we still have, we have a lot to, a lot of positive has come out. And uh, we're reaching people as a community throughout the world. Uh, God takes tragedies and turns it for his glory. Um, but, but we'll never forget what happened. And we'll never quite uh, totally recover from the people that we will be missing. And some of the people that are in the church that survived it will have lifelong uh, disabilities because of it. Yeah, and I know, Stephen, do you mind if I ask, I've never asked you this question before, I know we've spoken a few times, but how old were you, Stephen, when this, when this took place? I was 55 years old. 55, so as a 55-year-old man, you know, there was several events that led up to this point, uh, you know, and there's a key question which we'll come to at the end of this interview surrounding, you know, how were you able to do um, what you could do in those circumstances? And I saw an interview of you once, and you said, you know, that you did what... Um, God gave you the strength to do in that in that moment. And then the first thing I want to say is, you know, thank you for taking those actions, because if you hadn't, many other people would have lost their lives. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful that you were there and you were the person that God chose to do that. But I know when me and you spoke, um, that there was, there's been several key incidents in your life that have sort of really prompted you and enabled and given you the the a courage to do what you need to do back in 2017. And one of those started with your your sort of um, 
high school girlfriend, if you like. Do you mind telling us a bit about that? Uh, when I was a uh, senior in high school, I had a girlfriend that uh, I cared very deeply about. And uh, her parents were going through a divorce. And as oftentimes parents start using their children as a weapon against them, each other. And they were doing this with her and they were causing strife and um, issues with her and I also. And uh, I told her that it was probably time for us to take a little time apart. I was a young man and had no clue how to deal with everything that was going on. And so we separated for a time. And during that time, she wrote a letter saying that she didn't believe anyone cared for her anymore. And she took her own life. And uh, it had a profound effect on me. I was raised a Christian and I always believed I was a Christian, uh, but my faith wasn't what it should have been. And uh, when she took her own life, I blamed myself for not being there for her. And it took me down a path that was not uh, what God intended for my life. And I started uh, uh, looking for other things to I guess, supplement and to help me get around the pain. And I, I bought a motorcycle. It, it, was, uh, it was a Harley Davidson right out of high school. That was, that was quite an investment. And I spent every dime I had on that bike. And uh, I spent every moment of free time on that motorcycle. And it became my God. We can, we can find things that will uh, substitute for God. We either worship the one true God or we will find something to soak our time and effort in and, and it becomes our God itself and what we worship. And, and it was a really nice motorcycle. Uh, I uh, spent all my time with it. And the Bible talks about um, God chases those that he loves. And when I look back at what happened, and there were a couple of events where I almost had a, a deadly wreck. And uh, both those times, I was a young man and going through, I guess, a little bit of violent time. And uh, one time a, a car pulled out in front of me and I almost hit him. And by the time I recovered, he had pulled into a convenience store. And my thought was, I'm going to go drag him out of that car and I'm going to beat him. And, and when I came up to where he was, he was in his probably mid-80s with a, uh, a lady in the seat next to him, I assume was his wife, and she was in her mid-80s. And, and I couldn't even get get that out on them. <laughs> and it wasn't a fair fight. It wasn't a fair <laughs> fight. And then the very next thing is uh, a young lady this time with about 10 children in her truck. Those weren't all her kids and she almost killed me. And uh, again, nothing that I could fight over. Uh, and then the third time, uh, a man in his mid 70s sitting on top of a curb, uh, a medium in between two highways, two different directions, pulled out and this time I hit him 
He was driving a three-quarter ton Ford pickup. I hit him where the front fender and the door came together. And I flipped over the cab, slamming my right hand in top of the cab as I flew over the cab. And I landed on the opposite side face first, but I was wearing a helmet only because I was headed to work at a military base and they required you to wear a helmet if you had a motorcycle. That was the only reason I was wearing the helmet that way. And that day, and it, it, it busted the helmet off my head. I was able to remove the helmet without unstrapping. Uh, and, and I rolled to my feet from the accident. And that, that day I said, I never knew, I, I never knew God rode a Harley Davidson before. Then I figured out he was riding mine. And in the six months it took them to repair my motorcycle. Uh, in that six months, I started going to a church that was within walking distance of my apartment. And the sole purpose of going to that church was to find women. And uh, I, 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 I was still lost. And I was going to that church to find women and God doesn't care why you're hearing his word. He can make the best of it. And so I was going to that church and they had, it took them six months to rebuild my bike because the frame was bent. And they had to order a brand new frame with serial number printed on it with the original serial number to be able to rebuild the bike. And uh, when I got the bike back, I returned back to the very same life I had decided I was going to go to a rally and I was going to take a girl out with me that wasn't exactly what I should be looking for, uh, for a wife. And so a thief came in on the sixth day after I got my motorcycle back and stole my bike wow. and left me going to church. Um, I started going to that church for one reason and found a very different reason to go to the church. I found I found Christ my savior at that church. And uh, two years after I started going and being a member at that church, I met my wife. Wow, so an incident of um, perhaps maybe, I don't want to say aggression, Stephen, but the, the, um, the frustration of riding a motorcycle and people sort of cutting you up and nearly knocking you off you know god was teaching you lessons it sounds in there to sort of to remain um humble and then when you did crash your bike and it's off the road for six months he puts a church right in front of your your apartment building which you then met your your, your wife yeah. and wow. and you know god god says you will have no god before me and uh I learned, and when I was able to go out, and I had to pay for that bike six months after it was stolen. I made payments on it without owning the bike anymore to, to, to keep my credit clear and stuff. And when I was finally able to buy another motorcycle, by that time, I had found God for real. And I put a little Christian fish on the back uh, cowling of the motorcycle. And one of my buddies said, nobody can see that going down the road. I said, that is not for anyone but me. I want everybody to know. And that's to remind me that that motorcycle belongs to my God. It doesn't belong to me. 
and it should be used for his purposes. Yeah, wow. I know, Stephen, me and you have been, or I've been honored enough to sort of know you a couple of years and we've spoken um, every now and again. I still don't know if you can understand this English guy or not, but you did know someone from Scotland in, in Texas. So you must, you have a bit of a dialect, but um, <coughs> it's been good to get to know you. And I know, I think you first told me the story a couple of years ago about, you know, I think I asked you, what gave you the courage or how do you feel that you could engage that person that had an AR as a civilian? And I always assumed it be because that you've been a prior NRA instructor and a firearms instructor. But you told me a story about when you and your dad were in a diner, when you were sort of, were you in sixth grade, something like that, and there was an altercation. That, that, was, that was a start when you knew that you were a run towards the danger type of person rather than a run away from it. My, my father was an honorable man and a, and a strong Christian. And uh, he instilled in me that, uh, to be a protector to be the one that would stand up uh, when needed. And uh, as a young man, he, he was a truck driver uh, when I got in sixth grade. He was uh, hauling alfalfa hay from New Mexico down to South Texas where we live. And uh, during the summer, I got to take a trip with him. We would, we would ride with him and uh, I, Dad always had a truck stop that he always stopped at uh, early, early, like two or three o'clock in the morning and, and eight on his way down to, uh, or up to New Mexico. And uh, this particular day didn't seem like any different. And we were going down the road, stopped at the truck stop. And as I walked in, we took one of the tables in the middle of the restaurant and we walked past a, a big, huge, broad man sitting at the table closest to the door. And we sat out and noticed up toward the, uh, the counter of the restaurant, there was a uh, young lady, blonde, long hair, sitting at the table with a, with a man in a white shirt and a white cowboy hat. And waitress came by and brought our coffee and uh, all at once, the big broad man that was sitting by the door got up, walked right past our table very deliberately and walked up behind the young lady with the long hair. And she had long hair, real long hair. And he grabbed a whole handful of her hair and he pulled her backwards where she went backwards in her seat and he slammed her to the floor. And the man that was sitting at the table with her jumped to his feet. My dad jumped to his feet and started over there. And me as a sixth grade, I don't know what I was going to be doing, but I followed my father. I was right at his, his heels. And the man that was sitting at the table punched the guy, punched him right in the face. And it just split him right here and he started bleeding. And as he reached down, he pulled a pistol and he pulled it up and he stuck it in the guy's face and dad stopped with his hands out like this at that moment uh, and the guy looked at dad and dad was there holding his hands out and he looked at the man and he says he said put your hands on the counter and uh 
the guy kind of bowed up to him. And he said, put your hands on the counter. I'll blow the fat plum off of you. I don't remember. <laughs> that's what he said exactly. You told me that story three times and I still laugh. I'm, I'm waiting for the punchline. I still laugh. And, and uh, he looked at me. Of course, I'm stopped right behind my father. He said, there's two DPS officers outside. Would you go get them for me? And the man was so broad that when they came in, they had to hook two can two uh, handcuffs together to, to cuff him behind his back. And then the, the guy at the table asked my father to come over and talk to him. Uh, he said, out of this whole restaurant, you were the man that stood up and came to the aid of a woman you didn't even know. He said, I want to shake your hand. And he introduced himself, and he was the sheriff. But he was off duty. He didn't have a badge on. So, uh, and he looked at me and he said, what were you going to do? <laughs> I said, I went and got the officers outside. That's <laughs> still a role. You're still playing a part. But, but that moment showed me what an honorable man does in a situation like that. My father was there all the time to defend innocence. My father wasn't afraid of a man that was twice his size. He was going to stand between innocence and evil. Yeah, now, didn't your dad say something about, you know, you've always got to be the defender? Uh, was there some expression that your dad used to use? Well, well dad always taught us to be the defenders. To be the defenders, that's it. To, to be the defender. He, he always taught my brother and I that men defended women and that, that women were to be treated as something special. And, uh, and he always taught us to be defenders. Um, yeah, no, I know, Stephen, we've got the, um, the significant incident with the high school girlfriend which shaped your life and, and led you ultimately, really, you could say to Christ, but it led you to that church where you met your wife. You know, you told us about the incident of your motorcycle, how God was teaching you a lesson, and your, your father was teaching you that lesson about to be the, the defender. But I know even outside of those tragic events at Sutherland Springs, there was other adversary that you had in your sort of your, your life's journey, which you've really sort of learned from. Maybe tell us a bit about, you know, your parents and, and um, how they sadly passed away. In 1993, um, the day before my 31st birthday, um, September uh, 6th, my mother and father were run over and killed by a drunk driver. He had four prior DWIs, and it was on Labor Day that year. And, uh, that sent me down a road that was never expected. Um, on the day of their funeral, we found out that my wife was expecting our third child. And uh, it gave us a little bit of something to hold on to. And we buried my parents. And two months after we buried them, an arsonist here in Sutherland Springs was going around and burning vacant properties. He burned 14 vacant properties 
right along with my parents' house and all my memories. And this was two months after the death. And uh, we had no insurance on the home and, and not everything was out of the home. And they burned it to the ground. And uh, then in my wife's second trimester, when we went to a doctor's appointment, we found out that our baby's heart had stopped beating, that, that she had lost a child. When they told her she was going to have to carry this baby for another two weeks for it to reabsorb into her body before that they would do a DMC and remove it. That was probably the most miserable two weeks that you can even imagine. I mean, we were already feeling like we were just knocked down, torn apart. And uh, like I say, through my parents' death and an arsonist burning their house down. And they did catch the arsonist and he had burned four, 14 structures down. He was part of the volunteer fire department and he would set a house on blaze and then be the first one to show up so he could get pats on the back. So that two weeks passed by and uh, they did the DNC and removed the baby. And then a week after that, I got laid off of work. I did a lot of studying in Job. I did a lot of saying, God, if this is my test, and let me prove to be worthy. But please let it end with, though I'm a strong man, it was in my limit. I, I, I had never been through such before. And I was sitting at the house with my wife, and I remember this well. The church had, uh, I'm sorry. That's okay, you say it's hard. Uh, the church had made my wife and I part of a shepherding group. And what a shepherding group, if you guys don't know what it is, it's, it's a group that study together. It's in a big, huge church. And at the time we were going to the church, uh, Oak Hills Church, Christ, which was where Max Licato taught. And uh, so when you have big med mega church, sometimes they have smaller groups called shepherding groups. And they had come to my wife and I and asked, since we had been only out of the singles group and still had friends in the singles group, if we would uh, be part of the stabilizing part of a singles shepherding group, and we said we would, and they gave us another couple that were in their 70s, too, Pat and Harvey Pearson, and uh, they were really, really, really strong Christians, very wise, and we could draw from their wisdom. My wife and I were sitting at home in our misery. We had no money to go and do anything. And we had two very young girls at the time. And we were just sitting at the house and there was a knock at the door. And when I opened the door, there was Harvey Pearson and Pat, his wife. And they walked in and following them were 18 singles. Our life group had come there. 
and they were carrying pizzas, and they were carrying VHS, Walt Disney movies, and they were carrying games. And Harvey looked at me and he said, you and your wife get your best clothes on. We have reservations for a five-star restaurant. And they've already got a credit card there. The debt's been paid. And that's the moment that I knew that we had turned the corner. That's the moment that I knew that our test was done. And people say, oh, I can get to heaven without a church. I don't doubt that. You don't have to have a church to get to heaven. So why would you want to? Why would you want to? The church is a source of your strength. When everything is tough and everything seems to be coming down, your church family props you up and holds you up and prays for you. That's the only way I got through that. And now, Stephen, it's interesting. I know we, me and you spoke yesterday, uh, and I was reflecting on that story that you, you told. And if I may, I, I might want to disagree with you slightly on there about your test being over, because I was reflecting, I was thinking, maybe Stephen's test wasn't over until November of 2017 for the Sutherland Springs. And maybe that was the final test, because that was when you found yourself at home I believe you can make me say whether this is true or not, but you just, you didn't even have your shoes on. Is that right, Stephen? You were literally just I, at home doing some work. I was home relaxing. I didn't have any shoes on. Yeah. Uh, people, people make fun of me for that. Uh, how can you charge into battle without your shoes? Well, I heard so many shots and I had to get my rifle. Yeah. But the shots were coming so fast, I didn't have time to put shoes on. Every second counted. As a matter of fact, later I told people, uh, I told Chris Workman, because Chris Workman was the last man shot at the church. I said, if I would have been there 15 seconds earlier, Chris, you'd still be walking. Chris got shot in the back and he's paralyzed from the waist down for the rest of his life. And Chris looked at me, he said, you didn't get there in your time. You got there in God's time. He said, if all it cost me was the use of my legs to bring so many people to Christ, then it was a price well worth paying. He helped me through that. Yeah, and the reason why, Stephen, I wanted to talk to you is there's that, um, you know, some people know you as being the good guy with the gun, and me and your friends on Facebook, and you've got this little cartoon character, and that's what you go <laughs> by. But, but, but I know that there's so much more to you, and I wanted people to hear that hear that story and get to know who you are but you know some people train for that day hoping it never happens but you were in a position where 26 lives have been taken and you had to engage someone who got an automatic assault rifle with tactical gear on I guess but the question that I have is what did you learn about yourself in that moment well I learned I learned first I guess and I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of death. I, I want to do God's will at any cost. And there's some things that are worse in life than death. Uh, what, and people say, what, what could have been worse than dying? 
what could have been worse than dying is to live with myself, knowing that my neighbors and my friends were being murdered and I did nothing, that I did nothing. And when God called, I did nothing. Uh, that would have been worse than death. really learn i mean when you discussed this and it was only yesterday you know you you did learn that you you are that guy when there is you know from being in that dining with your dad to you know the sad events of southern springs when the lord calls you are that guy that raises his hands and walks towards danger and like i said i'm internally grateful that, that you did that and you know you it might be hard for you to think but is there more that i could have done but i, I think you did what the lord wanted you to do and you were part of removing that person from from the world i i'm i'm gonna tell you you know they ask me how it's changed my life and uh i i guess uh i have a i use picture words to describe sometimes how i feel and um one that i keep going back to i feel like a little child that God asked to do something really difficult. And I did it. And he's brought me into his ice cream shop. And I watched God put on his apron and pull it tight. He's looking across the counter and he smiles at me. He pulls my plate out. He starts dipping my favorite ice cream and piling it on my plate. And the, that ice cream is blessings. Since that day, I've had two granddaughters. We can hear one in the background. You can hear one <laughs> in the background. Actually, that's my grandson. Oh, is that okay? Uh, I have had two granddaughters first. And seven weeks ago, my grandson was born. And my other daughter's pregnant with another baby. I'm the most blessed man that you've ever met in your life. And part of that blessing is knowing how much I'm blessed. Yeah, I can remember you said that. You said to me that some people don't know that they're blessed. You know that you're blessed and when the Lord is rewarding you. Rewarding that, you that makes the blessing even greater when you know you've been blessed. Yeah, and Stephen, so I mean, I'm really um, honoured and privileged that you took the time to talk to me today. I'm sure there's a lot of people that ask you for interviews or discussions and perhaps what I've asked is maybe slightly different, but everyone wants to know about, well, tell us about the Southern Springs, but, you know, um, who I became is about getting um, to know you and as, as an individual because there's so much that led up to that, um, those tragic events. So thank you for, for joining me today. Well, and obviously uh, your interview uh, from a bit different angle brought up a whole lot of different emotions. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, well, well thank, you for, thank you for sharing those with us. And I guess one other question, Stephen, is what, what now? What are you doing now? And I guess well, maybe what were you doing before? the events in 2017, and what are you doing now? Well, before I was a, um, I was a maintenance plumber. I thought my whole life was figured out. I thought um, I got my dream job 
as I was able to retire from plumbing construction, where I had a med gas specialty and, and built hospitals. And I was able to retire from that job and go on to, to being a plumbing maintenance at a hospital. And I was a perfect fit because of all my experience building and putting together uh, medical gas systems and stuff. And uh, with the retirement and the wages, I was probably more financially set than I'd ever been in my life. I was doing good. And, uh, and then all this happened and I was called to the governor's meetings to discuss uh, security and how to make the state of Texas a safer place. I was called to the uh, Arctic Circle in Alaska to speak with native Alaskans about God, if you can imagine that. Uh, a plumber being called all the way to the Arctic Circle to be able to speak to native Alaskans and tell them how great my God is. And the hospital told me I couldn't do these things. And I looked at her, at the executive director and I said, unfortunately for you, I can't. I said, uh, I may not be able to do this and that at the same time, but I, I believe God is calling me to do something. And uh, you can find another plumber, but no one else is being asked to do the things that I'm doing now. And it hasn't been the, the most uh, lucrative decision that I've made, but I do go and I speak to churches and tell them what they need to do to, to uh, set up their safety response teams to be ready for something like this. And, uh, and I, I speak God's word. I, I tell them uh, as sheepdogs that the shepherd loves his sheep. Jesus said he will leave the 99 to go out and look for the one lost sheep. And I tell people, while he's gone looking for the one lost sheep, you're the sheepdog to watch over the other 99. Because when he returns, he wants to know that his 99 sheep are well taken care of. It's okay to be a sheepdog. When you're no better than his sheep, he loves his sheep. Stephen, it's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you the last um, couple of years. And it's been really good to sit down with you today and hear your grandkids uh, screaming in the, in the background as any grandfather would, would like to hear. So um, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. God bless you guys all. I, I, I do speaking engagements, so please, uh, Stephen Wolford, uh, dot com and you can go to my public page and you can book me if if you would uh, so stephenwilliford.com okay take care Stephen thank you for joining us for the who I became podcast if you are enjoying the discussions between Simon and his guests make sure to subscribe rate and review as well as share with your friends on social media once again thank you for joining the who I became podcast mm -hmm.